off this morning. I've already gotten started off. <clears throat> well, good morning, everyone. Good to see all of you this morning. Even good to see young Deshari here this morning. Where you at, Alan? <clears throat> Alan, you might want to move up a little further. I think you're at a table that there's going to be some distortion of things over there. A.J. is obviously not young to share. Well, yeah, I suppose so. Compared to your great-great-great-great-great-great-grandma, then I suppose you are. Again, thank you for coming, being here. I don't say that out of rote. I really mean that. Thank you, thank you, thank you for regularly, consistently participating in the study of the Word of God. This morning, let's continue our study as we proceed into Colossians chapter 2. Let me read this, the verses 1 and 2 that we'll be talking about this morning. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those who are at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, <clears throat> that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Father, we just again, as we always do, we ask for your anointing. <clears throat> we ask for your ministry of the Holy Spirit. Father, to take this word which none of us apart from your spirit can understand we can just know some of the facts, but we'll never understand what they mean and how they apply. They'll never mean anything to us redemptively until the Holy Spirit does that work of illumination and application in our hearts, in our minds. So, Father, do that work this morning by your Spirit. Enlarge us today, Father, in your kingdom's usefulness and effectiveness by your Word, through your Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to go back one more time into verse 1. We talked a little bit about, about it last week, but just wanted to spend a little bit more time in this before we proceed to verse 2. Paul says in verse 1, he says, and by the way, we are now in chapter 2. And that doesn't mean that there is a change in um, Paul's uh, content. This is the continuing content that he's already had at the end of chapter 1. So actually, I think putting this as chapter 2 is somewhat of a misnomer. Probably chapter 2 should begin with verse 6, but, but that's neither here nor there. But So don't see this as something separate from the end of chapter 1. See it as a continuing flow of thought, because in the original Greek, there were no chapters and verses. Paul is just dictating this letter, and the amanuensis, amanuensis you know, the scribe, is just just writing it down as Paul is saying it. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those who are at Laodicea and for all who have not seen my face. Now, by this time, have you noticed that Paul has emphasized his struggles and his sufferings? He's emphasized the difficulty of ministering the gospel. He's already said something about it where? in verse 24 of the previous chapter. He's already mentioned it in verse 29 of the previous chapter. So this is the third time. I'm struggling. I'm having difficulty. There's toil. There's opposition. I'm suffering. Okay, Paul, we get it. 
We get it. What's the big deal? I mean, when I read other letters of Paul, I don't see this emphasis. There are comments. But I don't see this emphasis of how much the gospel is costing the Apostle Paul. So why is he doing this? What is the purpose in his continual usage of this? Now, what we have to do when we read anything that is written not to us, but even if it's written to us, I'm talking about a personal letter from someone, we have to kind of read between the lines. And so what does this indicate? I'm struggling. I'm toiling. I'm suffering. The indication is this, that the probability, and a very strong probability, is that there are teachers in the church, and we know that there are false teachers and teachings in this church, and we'll begin to get into that within the next week or two. And the great probability is that part of the teaching, maybe somewhat of a fundamental issue here, is that the gospel is God's great work of not only saving us, but freeing us from any of the struggles in this life. It's a success gospel. It's a gospel that says you can have it now. It's a gospel that says if you are struggling, if there are difficulties and things are not going wrong, I mean, right, James, you're not a man of faith, brother. You need to get up and, and do something about that to overcome these sufferings and difficulties so you can walk in life without sufferings and difficulties. So this is apparently a teaching perhaps a very large part of the teaching, that success now gospel. And so what is he doing? Here is God's preeminent pastor. And what we see in the Apostle Paul is not only a reality in his life, but it is also an example for us. His life is a teaching tool. And what we see him experience and the way we see him walking out the ministry, his attitude, his thoughts, his feelings, his passion, is to be a teaching to us, not only the words of instruction, do this, don't do that, go here, don't go there, but his lifestyle as a believer is as much a teaching tool for us. In fact, it might be a greater teaching tool for us than just the verbal instruction of the Word. And so we miss these things. We look at these letters and we go right to the teaching. But we must see that Paul himself is God's great teaching tool of anyone who is saved, because everyone who is saved is called into the ministry of evangelism and teaching and preaching the gospel on some level. And so Paul is using his own life, his struggles, as a plumb line against which to measure the truth of other teachings. Now, I know how popular it is and how much we want to have a gospel that says, when I'm suffering, I just have to ask God for greater work of faith 
and I'm going to overcome that suffering, and the pain is going to stop, and the healings are going to come, and stuff like that. But it's not the truth. Overcoming, pain-free, no sickness gospel is not the gospel of Jesus Christ for us today. It is what's going to happen, and we do see glimpses of it today. I have had in my body physical healings. I used to suffer greatly from allergies. And I remember one day driving to Palmer Paper Company. I used to own a printing company. And I remember on Cortez, North Cortez, stopping the station wagon. As the Lord said to me, Danny, if you ask me, I will heal you of all your allergies. It was a word of God to me. What? What? So I stopped the car. And Frank, I asked the Lord to do it. I have one of the biggest oak trees in the whole world in my front yard. And during the pollen season, I breathe freely. Why? Because you asked. No. Because God said and I obeyed. So you see, it's not that God said. It's that God said. Okay? And so there is truth here of overcoming these things. But there's also truth in the struggles and the difficulties. So we want you to see Paul's life is an example. And by the way, each one of us should be an example to every one of us of what the gospel is. So when I look at anyone's life, and I look at Billy's life. Yeah, you. I, I saw you looking around. <laughs> He's looking around like, Billy who? Billy who? Billy Burns. When I look at Rhonda and Billy, individually but as a husband and wife, I am supposed to be instructed in a living reality of the gospel. When I look at Phage's life and Rufus, your life is to instruct me, encourage me, encourage others around here, Francis, others, Trish, any of us. This is who we are to be in Christ, a mutually encouraging and instructing people. Now, some of us have the gift of telling everybody what to do, and that's my gift. <laughs> And Gene would tell you, I am way too quick to tell people it's much better to be showing people first. But this is what Paul is doing, Lester. He's showing us what's going on. Now, why didn't he just come to the place of saying, look, Colossians, I'm Paul. I'm having some difficulties. I pray for you. What are you doing listening to these false teachers? You guys must be crazy. This is not the gospel. Why doesn't he just come to the point as he does in 1 Corinthians and Galatians and the 2 Corinthians, you know, why doesn't he just come to the point? Oh, you foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? Because he doesn't know this church personally. They know him by reputation. They know him perhaps they have read other letters. 
but they've never met him, remember, face to face at this church and the church in Laodicea, and specifically in Laodicea, which is he's saying this to them, but also to the Colossian church, I believe. And so Paul wants to make sure that they will hear and be able to receive the truth of the gospel. And so he's a wise man. He, if you would, wisely takes his time and very carefully builds a case to engender himself to them so that when he begins to instruct them, they can receive it. And that's what he's doing here. He's showing them by himself, his own example, the example of himself, that what you are learning and what you are being taught and the way you are being led in this church is not the gospel that saved you. Other stuff is beginning to come in, and we'll see what some of that other stuff is in the next few weeks. You see, Paul's sufferings reveal and were revealing his own sufferings, what Paul himself was going through, what you go through, what I go through, and how we respond to it and how we carry it and how we are satisfied and content in Christ with what God has given us. Yes, we ask for healing. Yes, we ask for overcoming. Yes, we ask for, Father, will you let this cup pass from me? But we always say, nevertheless, Father, I am more interested in the communication and in the power of your gospel working in me and working in others than getting relief. Amen? Are you more interested in what God wants to do as, uh, for the proclamation of his mighty name than getting relief from your problem? Two people said yes. Great, thank you. Listen, let me take a personal... I have, we have to make this class longer. It cannot go just 45 minutes. We had to go four hours in the morning. Janine, write the elders and ask. Two of us are already in here. <laughs> I remember with an issue in my life, an issue in my life, and I was having great struggles with it. And, and some of it was spiritual, some of it was physical. And I remember, oh, God, you got to get this out of me. Remember that something about a thorn somewhere? And the Holy Spirit began to talk to me. This is years ago. But it doesn't matter when it was. Are you willing to ask me, to ask me and then receive of me with joy my hand of correction, pressure, adjustment, ministry upon you until I'm finished the work? Because you see, sometimes what we do in the church, people have needs, and sometimes we rush upon them and asking God to begin to minister and to relieve and to heal whatever prematurely. God may not be finished with the work that he's doing through those issues. We have to always be careful. So when someone, friends, asks me, <clears throat> would, you heal, would you pray for my healing? Would you pray for my finances? Hey, I'm ready to pray for anybody about anything in the gospel. But what I'm going to do first, Patrick, I'm going to come to you and I'm going to stand there for a few moments. You may have noticed that. And I'm going to try to get a sense from the Lord. Should I do what he's asking me or is there something else I should do or at least pray for him in a way that he may not understand that he needs something different than just relief? So what do we need? 
we need more than relief, we need association with God. More than relief, we need association. This is what Paul is telling them. This is what Paul is telling them. His sufferings are revealing that the true gospel is a self-sacrificing message for God's glory, while that other gospel was a self-satisfying message for their glory. Now let's continue in verse 2. Why is he suffering? Here's why he's suffering. That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. So Paul now begins to explain what his struggles are producing in the church and how his struggles are doing this. Let me tell you what God is up to and how he's using this. My struggles, my difficulties, my message, my instruction, my whole person as an apostle, as a minister of the gospel. So first, look at, let's look first at the second part of this verse, at what his struggles are producing. Let's look at that today, and then next week we'll look at how that is happening. So first of all, what is the purpose of Paul's sufferings? Why is God using him this way? Why is he using me this way? Why is he using Tommy Hill this way? Why is he using any of us this way? Why is he using any of us through all the issues that we go through? Why? What is his purpose? Here is his purpose, that we may reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and of the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. See, God has a purpose in this. It's a purpose for me, in me, and for others as they witness God's work in me, as they witness God's work in you. See, Paul wants the church, and Paul's wanting here is obviously God's wanting in and through Paul. So when I say what Paul wants, we're obviously saying this is the ministry and the purpose and the will of the Holy Spirit at work through Paul. What Paul wants is for them to be fully assured that God will cause them to reach the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is in Christ. You're going to get there. I want you to have this. I want you to understand you're going to get there. And I want you to see what this is going to do, what this, the reason and the purpose for this and the good of this. Remember what he says in Philippians 1.6. What does Paul say? For I am persuaded of this very one thing. That, well, who? That he who has what? Begun. He didn't say finish the good work. He says begun a good work. Will bring it to what? Completion. When? When? Not today. When do our healings become full? When do our struggles stop? When do we have the fullness of what God has done? On the day of Jesus Christ. He's begun to work in us. So it's an ongoing work. I have been saved and I am being saved and continuing in my salvation toward that day. It's a work that began, but it's a work that continues. Why is this so important? Why? Because, you see, it's the proof that God is with his people in a very special way. Why is having a full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, why is that so important? Isn't it just so important, as important just for me to be saved? I'm saved. I'm saved. So what else is there? Well, the work of salvation is just 
God's way of beginning to do this work of maturity and building into us and manifesting in us his own wisdom by giving us knowledge and understanding of that wisdom. So that when the world looks at us and sees us individually and as a corporate community, they see something absolutely astounding and even scandalous. It's scandalous that God, first of all, that God would dwell with his people. You look at the religions of the world. They ain't got God living with folks. There's no, one of the tenets of Islam is that it's an anathema to say that Allah will associate with fleshly people. The pantheon of Greek and Roman mythologies, they didn't dwell with people. Certainly some of these gods had intimacy with the women of the world, but that was just, you know, for them to have a little fun and they had kids. But they weren't dwelling with those people. There was a separation. There was an antagonism. There was a distinction. Except in the truth of the gospel. And how do we know and how do they know that Christ is in us, the hope of glory? Remember the chapter 1 at the end of it. Because of the activity and the reality and the effect of God's giving to us and maturing in us understanding and knowledge of his mystery, Christ in us. It's going to produce something. It has an effect. And Paul wants them to know, I want you to be assured, fully assured of this, that God who has begun this work in you, he's going to bring it to completion and he's going to be ministering in all of us through all kinds of means and in all kinds of situations, through all kinds of relationships, through good times and bad times, easy times, difficult times, ups and downs, clear and cloudy weather, whatever it is, but God is ministering a great truth that our God is with us. Otherwise, the world will not see the gospel and its effect. You see, having such knowledge and understanding is clear proof that Christ lives in them. It is proof that God is at work in them, transforming and conforming them to the image of Christ. Why is it important that husbands and wives relate to one another in love? Why is it important that we forgive one another? Why is it important that we walk in harmony? Why all this? Because it's all arrow about God. Every time I have a husband and wife in the room, uh, the office there, or <clears throat> two people in, 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 in Christ who are having difficulty, the primary emphasis always is and must be, this is about God. It's not about how you feel, not about what happened to you, not about what's going on, not about what you're going to get, what you ain't going to get, what they said, what they didn't say. It's about God. Amen? Can we get that in our hearts, that everything in my life is about God? Everything in my life, not just some things, everything. 
Frank, there's nothing left out, is there? Susan, there's nothing left out. Karen, how much is left out? Mary, nothing. You see, exercising spiritual wisdom and knowledge and understanding, exercising the reality and the fulfillment and the outworking of this mystery is clear proof that they have the mind of Christ, that Christ dwells in them, that God is with his people. It's important that we have understanding and knowledge. And I go back to what I said last week, and I'll, I'll say it every time we get together. This is why such a class as this, I'm not promoting the teacher, I am promoting the teaching. This is why a class such as this is critical to God's work in our lives. And if you don't mind my saying so, but I'll say it anyway, this class should have 250, 300 people in it every Sunday morning, and I don't apologize for it because there's nothing more important and busyness than doing the will of God and learning His Word. Because on that day, He's going to ask us, uh, how busy were you that you couldn't, uh, and, and you, you didn't give your time, and how busy, and what? It's going to be a tough day. It's going to be a tough day. We say, well, it's going to be a glorious day. Yeah, but first there's an evaluation of deeds done in the body, whether good or evil. Remember 2 Corinthians 10? I'm sorry, 5, 10? Thank you, Frank. And then in verse 11, he says, knowing the fear of God, we persuade men. But thank you for being here. I know I'm teaching, preaching to the choir, but I hope the choir will go out and sing to the rest of the church. All of this was God's way of fulfilling his purpose for Adam. Remember, go back to Genesis. What's going on here? God is merely bringing into fruition in a time frame that which he had begun with Adam and Eve in the garden, that man should be according to his image and his likeness, and that they should fill the earth, that they should subdue the earth, that they should multiply, that they should be a blessing, that they should take dominion over the earth that the rule and reign of God and the glory of God would not be confined to a garden, but that garden would so advance with God's people in obedience to God that the entire earth would become the footstool, the garden of God in a real way. Therefore, the old was going to pass away because of sin, but there's coming a day when a new heaven and a new earth will come together and God will dwell with his people and God will be in their midst. And this earth, a newly created earth, will literally be the living temple and location of the glory and presence of God. So with the terminology that we've seen, remember what Paul said in verse 9 of chapter 1. Remember his prayer? I pray that you what? Be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then a few more verses he begins to talk about fully making known the word of God. Remember that? which is the mystery. What is this mystery? Christ in you, the hope of glory. For this, he says, I've been struggling, laboring, toiling, 
because I want all of this to become a living reality in you, and I want you to be assured that you, God is doing this work in you. Look at my life. Listen to my teachings, Paul is saying, and adhere to this and do what the Holy Spirit is uh, showing you to do through me and God is accomplishing and bringing to fruition his great purpose for having created us in the first place and then recreating us in the image of God in our salvation. But you see, when Paul is using this terminology, understanding, knowledge, wisdom, mystery, Paul is not using it in isolation. Paul is a, is a consummate Old Testament scholar. And what we do when we look at the New Testament, we must not see it apart from the Old, but we must see it within the context of the Old Testament. Because everything Paul is telling us in this letter, there's nothing new in this letter. There's no new revelation in this letter. There's new understanding. There's new explanation. But this is the revelation that had begun in the Garden of Eden. And throughout the Old Testament, there's nothing new in this letter. There's nothing new in Jesus' teaching. It's all an unfolding. The seed or the root, if you would, is in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, all of a sudden we're seeing the, the fruit blooming. But where did it all come from? From the root. It started in the Old. And so Paul is picking up the terminology that he knows and the understanding that he has seen in the history of his people. So let's listen to some of these passages from Daniel. If you would, you may want to turn in your Bible to Daniel. And I'm going to be skipping around some of these passages because we don't have all day to read this, although I'd like to. But go back to the Old Testament and Daniel. And we will recognize that Paul's terminology is just not New Testament terminology, something that he has dreamed up. But he is drawing from the history of God's promised fulfillment. He is drawing from what God has said he would do and actually was doing in part in the Old Testament, bringing it to fruition and fullness in the New. So let's look at Daniel 1.1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Remember, in 605 B.C. this happened. Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon came in. This was the first seizing uh, seizure of, of Jerusalem, and it was destroyed in 586, but this is just the preliminary. <clears throat> and the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, and with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed his vessels in the treasure of his God. Oh, there's just so much there to say, but we must continue. But look what happens when we are a rebellious people. The treasure of God, if you would, becomes the ridicule of the world. Then the king commanded Asaphaz, Phanaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace, and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. You see? Let the world begin to teach us, but let us not learn except the, the, uh, the content, but let's not give our understanding and our knowledge to the world. Let's be wise and not allow that to begin to infect us. 
Verse 8, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. Wisdom is happening here. Daniel is operating and functioning in the wisdom of God. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. Verse 12, test your servants for 10 days and let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. Verse 15, at the end of the 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the other youths who ate the king's food. Verse 17, as for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams, verse 19. And the king spoke with them, verse 20. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and en uh, enchanters that were in all of his kingdom. So what was happening? As this king saw the living reality of a wisdom of understanding and knowledge that was not in anyone else except these godly young men. He began to be, wait a minute, there's something very distinct and different about these guys. They're not functioning the same way. They're not relating on the same basis. They're not going with the same purposes as we go with. And yet, in all of it, they are better off than all of our folks. He begins to see a distinction. Our lives are to be a clear distinction. The gospel makes us distinct from the world. This is what Paul is talking about in Colossians chapter 2, verse 1. Look at chapter 2, verse 1 in Daniel. Wow, I don't know if I'm going to get through all this. Let me try. In the second year of the reign of King Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. You see, the Lord is going to cause the world to need and want to see something in us. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the musicians... Hey, Jay, musicians. And the magicians and enchanters and the sorcerers of the Chaldeans be summed up to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. And the king said to him, I have a dream. I had a dream. I, I, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Okay, that's fine. Just tell us the dream and we'll let you know what's going on. Wait a minute. You guys have always tried to fool me. You tell me my dream and then tell me what it's all about. And they said this. He says, let me get down. He says, Verse 11, the thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods. Wait a minute, king, you're asking the impossible. I have a dream. Well, tell me the dream, and I'll tell you what's going on. You know, I can make something up. So you go to the king, and he says, hey, look, I had a dream. I want you to interpret it. Yeah, I'm ready to interpret it. First, tell me what's in the what the dream is. What? They admit freely. This is only godly wisdom and understanding and knowledge. This comes from the gods. Do you see the setup? Do you see the setup? Are people saying that about our lives? What I see in this person, these people, is divine. It's not human. 
It's heavenly. Paul wants that to be the way the church is being built up because this is the purpose of God. Then Daniel, verse 17, went into his house and what he did, he prayed that God would show him. Then look at verse 9. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel. What is Paul talking about? That the mystery be revealed to us in a vision in the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. So Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever, to whom belong wisdom and might. Verse 26. And the kingdom, king declared to Daniel, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen? And Daniel says, Nope, I can't do it. Only God can do it. Only God. Now, let's, let's make sure we get something. Are you prone like I am sometimes to talk about what I can do and what I know? And, of course, we tack God on it some kind of way. But we first want to make sure everybody knows I'm this and I'm that and I can do that. And here's what I can do and here's who I am. Thank Jesus. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. But it's the Lord working in me. No, Daniel said, no, I can't do it. I can't do it. But I know a God. But I know God. And when you hear what's going to happen, King, you're going to know that my God is God. So he describes the, the dream and he tells an interpretation. Remember? Look at verse 49, 46. After hearing this man stand before him and tell him the impossible, giving him understanding and knowledge and wisdom, opening the understanding of this mystery, look at Nebuchadnezzar's reply. Then the king fell on his face. And he paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an officer on offering an incense be offered up to him. And the king answered and said to Daniel, Truly your God is God of, is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Chapter 5. You remember... Belshazzar, who is the grandchild of Nebuchadnezzar, also says the father, the son, but that's a typical standard uh, Jewish way. You will hear me sometimes talk about my own grandchildren as my children. They are my children once removed, but they're my children. And there's a big banquet, you remember. And as they are in the room, a hand comes up and writes on the wall, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Ufsarim. Ooh. Ooh. what's that? So trying to figure it out, and someone says, hey, look, when your daddy was around, there was a guy who, you know, a Jewish guy who can do these kinds of things. Maybe he can help us. So they called Daniel in. And Daniel explains, you, your kingdom has been weighed in the balances, and you were found wanting. This very night, your kingdom will be taken away from you. That very night. You see, what Belshazzar said to Daniel in verse 14, asking him to come to share this, he says, I have heard of you that the spirit of the gods is in you and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. What is this telling us? 
What is it telling us? First, it's telling us that Paul's theology, Paul's teaching and preaching, Paul's ministry is part of a comprehensive work of the entire Bible. This is why it's so important to know the Old Testament and the New Testament so when you read either side, you are seeing both coming together in a unity of purpose and fulfillment. Verse 247 sums it up. He says this, and we just read it. Truly your God is God of gods, Lord of kings, revealer of mysteries. You see, this is what's going on. This is what Paul is after. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is after this in our lives. This is why Paul has prayed in verse 9 of chapter 1 that you be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. This is why a few verses down he talked about this wisdom, understanding and knowing this wisdom as the Word of God is fully being made known. And what is this wisdom? It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You see, through Daniel, God was showing that his wisdom and his understanding and his knowledge were superior to the wisdom and understanding and knowledge of the world. I mean, if you read just the first couple of chapters of 1 Corinthians, Paul deals with this and hammers it home, hammers it home, that the wisdom of the Greeks is not God's wisdom. It's an earthly, worldly wisdom. And it won't affect, I'm sorry, it won't work the spiritual work of God. You must rely on the spiritual wisdom from the Holy Spirit. In this terminology, Paul is declaring that Christ is the mystery that had been hidden from the ages but was now being revealed to the saints in light. You remember that. As with Daniel, God's kingdom was being shown to be invading and overcoming the kingdom of this world. That the God of this world, through the people of wisdom and understanding and knowledge, was being overcome. That in the wisdom that God has given His people wisdom and understanding and knowledge, all of this on the basis of and as a result of the Word of God in our lives. Wisdom is in the Word. Understanding is in the Word. The mystery is in the Word. The knowledge is all about the Word. That Word functioning in us that way by the Spirit is causing us to be able to be overcoming and defeating all the schemes of the devil in us personally and us corporately. It's highly significant that we be a people of the Word. And this is what we see, remember, in Acts 4.13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, two fishermen, two fishermen, what do you know about theology and ministry? You're a bunch of fishermen. They perceived that they were uneducated, common, that they were astonished at what they saw in them. Are people astonished with our lives? And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed, remember, in chapter 3, standing beside him, They had nothing to say in opposition. See, they were powerful image bearers of the resurrection of Jesus, that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. This is what God wants for us. Next week we'll talk about encouraging, knitting together in verse 2. Thank you.